Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henrik is Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Kara Black to the podcast this week. Kara is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of 20 books in the Private Investigator M.A. the Duke series and two World War II set novels featuring American markswoman Kate Reese. Kara has received multiple nominations for the Anthony and McCavity Awards, a Washington Post book World's Book of the Year citation and uh, the Medaille de la Vie de Paris, the Paris City Medal, which is awarded in recognition of contribution to international culture. Kara, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you, Judy. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> uh, my, my, my French is rusty, but you're making me want to get it <laughs> back up to speed. Um, so, before we start talking about, you know, now um, and, and writing, can you tell me, when did you say to yourself, I want to write a book? I think it was early 1990s because I had a story that wouldn't leave me. And um, it was like my dad was a huge reader in our family. And so he t- would take me to the library every week. He you know, was this huge mystery fan, you know, and I know that there were always in wherever he kept his books, you know, these paperback, very thumbed paperback books like Ken Follett's Eye of the Needle, John Le Carre, you know, all those kind of spyish, some mysteries. and, And so I remember it was when I went to Paris to visit a friend in the early 80s, and she took me to the Marais, you know, this part of Paris, the old Jewish section, which is very different now, and told me about her mother, who was a hidden Jewish girl during the German occupation of Paris in World War II, and showed me the apartment, or, you know, from the street. And I never forgot that. I just, I had, you know, I'm from California, and I had no, never really met anyone who you know, been so close to World War II in that way. You know, of course, I had family that served during World War II. But so I told my dad about it when I came back. And then years later, I went back and uh, my son was with me, you know, little. He was very small. And I remember uh, we stayed in the Marais one night and then I went, I put him to bed and I went down the street. I think I found the apartment and I looked at it. And it just hit me in a, in another way because I had a young child now. So yeah. I was thinking, what would I do? How would I hide him? How would we eat? How would we, you know, da, 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 da. And then I just came home and told my dad, and he goes, you are really obsessed with that. And I said, yeah, and it feels very different now. It feels closer. And he said, why don't you write about it, you know? And I got into it. I took a writing class. So I I was really passionate to tell this story. I think it was it was bubbling inside um, and it took three and a half years to write. And, and, but it was really 
also a way to try and figure out and, you know, explain this to myself. You know, how could French police under German orders do that? Or, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it was trying to figure it out, I think, was the impetus and the passion to explore that time. So it's a long answer to your question, but I was always a reader first, you know, before a writer. Right. But I actually find this fascinating that that it was a a story that lived inside of you um, that you felt like you needed to get out. You mentioned briefly that you took a writing class. Um, Tell me about that process and, and learning how to, you know, the creative exploration of the craft. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I did not know how to write a story. I mean, I think, but I mean, in my, I got into a writing class at UC Berkeley Extension and it was, it was very valued time because I had to get a babysitter, you know, and it was, it was very important. I had to go to Berkeley and it was a big investment, you know, and, but my husband supported me and my father was saying, yeah, this is great because you know, reading a book is different from writing one yeah. and, you know, the element of story, though I think we're all kind of born storytellers, I'm sure, inside. So it was like when I took the class, it was like, you're a storyteller, you know, think about the best way, think about trying this and that. And I learned about dialogue, you know, I mean, and how it needs to be fresh and plot structure and, you know, setting and setting was something that I really knew that I could talk about because I'd been to Paris, I'd lived in Europe. So I knew the setting, but making the setting be a character was a whole new exploration. Mm-hmm. So it was all these ways to to bring this in. And after the writing class, I took another writing class and I got into a writing group with several people from this class. And what was really great was that I had this story to tell, but I didn't know how to tell it and I needed a framework. Mm-hmm. And here's my dad again. He's going, yes, you know, mystery novels, they have that framework. There's a crime, generally, right? There's a crime, there's an investigation, right. there's suspects, there's some resolution at the end. And I went, yes. So then I went into crime novels. So I love that. And people always say, well, you know, it's so formulaic. I said, I don't, none of, you know, no. I don't think so. Well, in the in the fact that there's a crime, there's an investigation, there's resolution. That's why we read that. And that's why we want them. But every novel, even literary novels, there's always a secret at the core. You know, there's some little mystery. So um, I thought it's not that different. But I love the structure. Yeah. So that, you know, and being in it for me, being in a critique group, and I know you know, with sisters in crime, a lot of us are, and some of us aren't, and everyone has their own feelings and what works for them. I found it very helpful, very helpful. Yeah, and so yeah. Um, I I love that it was crime, and that that's, you know, crime novels, and that's what got you, because it is a structure, and I mean, it's also a familiar structure to so many people, because it's a three-act structure, and, and you know, so much of, of drama is like that, but um, right. when you were, when you wrote this first book, and you had this story to tell, did you it was it was historical, um, you know, so did you add that element to what you were what you were working on? Well, it was a little different because 
So I started writing the book in 1994, I think. And I just, and so I've sort of, and so it was set in 1993. It didn't get published until 1999. Okay. So, but that was still pre-Google. It was still really, the internet was very, we weren't, you know, it was different. People maybe got into a, you know, what do you remember those chat rooms? Those chat messenger rooms. rooms. And, yeah. yeah. You know, it would be like, a you know, every week I'd get on with the Parisian group and we'd talk about this or they'd live in Paris. And I'd say, what, you know, are the trees blooming? You know, it was very different than I had to write letters, you know, to to places in Paris, you know, like I would put stamps on the letters, those kind of, you know, and this trying to get a response to check details. But it didn't feel historical because as I was writing it, um, it was very much of the time in the 90s. And when I developed the character, you know, the detective Aimée Le Duc, she'd be half French, half American, because I couldn't write as a French woman, but I could write as sort of an outsider, an observer, mm -hmm. you know. And then I could also give her, she'd inherited a detective agency. I met a woman who ran this detective agency in Paris. And she'd inherited it from her father. And I just stole that whole history because it was great. <laughs> but then I thought, I've got to make it cutting edge and very 90s and very modern. So she would be a computer security investigator, right? Which in the time was... Oh, I mean, this was hot stuff. This was yeah. very new. And uh, there were only three people doing computer security as I started to write the story. Okay, it changed because it was, again, the internet was in its infancy. Yeah. So she was very, you know, ahead of things. And the thing uh, that was great was that one of my neighbors here in San Francisco, he worked, he's French, and he worked in computer security in France. So I could ask him, you know, oh, yeah. what about the router? What remember, you know, and all these things. So as I wrote of the time, it was pretty modern. You know, they wasn't yep. dated. We, you know, cell phones, they had them in Europe before us. So as as I moved on, I've still kept it. We're only up to 2001 now. <laughs> That's so, that was um, a question that I was gonna ask. So um so you were you were inspired by this story from World War II, but you created a, a modern hair, like, you know, a modern series. Um, but book time and real time are are tricky things. Um, and it doesn't. Did you imagine when you wrote that first novel that you'd it would be such a long running series? I had no clue. I had yeah. no clue. I remember going to my critique group and getting critiqued and finding all these mistakes or, you know, things that really made sense. I mean, I know in a critique group, you take what you want, you leave the rest, you know, and there were a lot of things that I didn't agree with, but some of them were great, you know, and really pointed this out. And after three and a half years, I was like, you know what, if I never get published, fine, I need to finish this and yeah. it needs to be right. And when I let that go, it really, it happened, you know, yeah. I just had to tell that story. So when I sold the book to my publisher, I was talking to my editor after we, you know, after it was going to press, finally, it was getting published. And she said, well, where is Amy Le Duc going next? And I said, excuse me? <laughs> and she said, yeah. 
Yeah, what about her dog and the Manji men in her apartment? What about Renee? Her, you're writing a series, aren't you? And I just lied and said, of course I am. <laughs> ran to the computer and realized she was giving me ideas, you know, kind of like right. Amy's continuing life after the first book, Murder in the Morgue. What would she be doing next? How much time? What about that case? The man she met, you know, da, da, da. And I was like, yeah, that's great. You know, she has a life, plus her investigation and her business, her personal life. So it just went on and on. And I, <clears throat> Julie, I wrote <clears throat> one book per contract. I mean, I got a contract for one book. You know, it was always just wow. one by one. Wow. And I never knew, never knew, you know, wow. if I would continue. That's tricky so. when you're writing a series because, you know, part of writing a series is you want to have an arc over a few books, but you also don't want to leave your readers unhappy. <laughs> so you want to um, finish up. So one book at a time is, is that's yeah. a tough thing. Do you, that was tough, but I didn't know any different. You know, right. I was, I just feel and felt I'm lucky to get published. There's just no two ways about it. You know, if you get a two book deal or a three book deal, which is, you know, that's fine. Then you can plot it out and, you know, you again, like you were saying, the art, it's for me, it was just so happy to get published, throw something at Amy. What's she going to do with it? And I think for me, it kept it fresh because mm -hmm. I, you know, who knew, you know, this could be the last one. I don't know. So, well, and to have such success with your first series is a blessing, but it's also um can be challenging because you learn so much in setting up a series that you can do differently if you write a second series. But the first series, you're sort of stuck with what you did. <laughs> so you did all that research on the 90s technology. And as you said, people, if, unless you're around, you don't understand that huge leap that it took in the you know early 2000s uh, as far as technology and, you know, Web 2.0 and all the rest of that. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I, mean, I was around then too. I couldn't imagine when people were explaining that you'd be able to search and find anything on the internet, how that was going to work um, because right. you had to be so, so careful. Um, do you, are you good with this writing and keeping it in the period or do you wish that you'd sort of made it timeless or, or, you know, are there any things that you would do differently if you were re redoing the series? Well, the thing that I would do differently that I got to actually do um, when the first book in Amy's story, we have her age in the first edition on the first page. And I was like, why did I do that? You know, because when you age, give someone's age, then you're stuck, right? Because right. it depends, you know, she's got to age out if you put, put that in there. Right. And I forgot about that. A reader pointed that out. And I was like, oh, my God. So the anniversary, the 10th anniversary, 2009, I believe, of, of Murder in the Mare, my editor said, do you want to change anything in that book? And I go, yes, <laughs> take out her age. Yeah. So she'll be timeless. So I got to do that. So right. that was great. But I would recommend to anyone try not unless you know you have a finite, you know, story and an arc. And a, I would take out the age so then Amy could have a child, which she did. And yeah, you know, um, 
So that was great. Um, and I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, there's other things that, that anchor you to the period that you're right. writing in that um, and technology is one um, and there are other right. things, but but you can let them, you know, I mean, it's book world, so you could do what you want to do. But I, I was wondering if you would have spent so much time on the specifics of the technology, knowing what was ahead. <laughs> Um, I think I still would, because it's very much of that time, you know, mm -hmm. and when people read it, they'll go, oh, I mean, I put the date in and, and, you know, a lot of people go, Cara, they pay in euros now, you know, not francs. And I said, aha, but not before 2001. Yeah. So again, it's, it's putting people, when you could smoke in the cafes, you can't yes. do that anymore. Right. So it's a different time. So I just, you know, I'm there and I'm just going to stay there. I try to remind people what also I do to sort of anchor. I'll have a huge um, whatever was a world event at the time. You know, maybe she'll see the headline. You know, she passes a kiosk yeah. or hear it on the hear it on the radio or on the, on the TV. It'll be, you know, so we can go, oh, that's when, you know, this happens. So we're in that time. So I have to use those kind of ways to anchor us as I get further and further away. Yeah. I once um, met Val McDermott at a, you know, Atricon, I believe, or, you know, and I said, Val, what do you do? Because in the UK, you've got those surveillance cameras like everywhere, right? I mean, no. just watching more than anywhere in the world. And how how can you get away with that in crime? And she goes, oh, you know, one's already broken. Somebody's wearing a hoodie. You know, and I thought you've got to, and that's true. You know, you've got to, or the cell phone is, you know, out of range or the tower doesn't work. You have to allow for those things too. So, right. And now that we all have, you know, like cell phones and iPhones. So something has to get in that way, which I don't have to worry about very much, right. which is right. nice. Right. Absolutely. So I like that. Yeah. yeah. So what is your process like when you're writing and has it evolved? Are you, you know, I mean, I know writers hate this, but it's also a fascinating conversation about potters and pantsers and, and just what's your process like? Sure. Yeah, I'm definitely a pantser, but I start with the place in Paris, you know, because that yeah. is kind of where, where is Amy going to, if I'm writing the Amy Lid series, where am I going? You know, where is she going to go? Why would she be here? What is it like? How is it different? You know, it's like, and I don't know where you live, but you know, everyone has neighborhoods, right? And you districts. And if you go somewhere, you're going there. And we know what that means here in San Francisco. If you go to Pacific Heights, you know, it's more shishi, you know, big homes. Um, and then if you go down to the mission, you're going for, you know, tacos or burritos or, you know, not to stereotype it, but there's different vibes. And so I really want to capture that. And again, why she would do it. Lots of times I take, um, you know, I'll, I'll go to Paris and I'll meet some cops and take them out for lunch and order wine and pour and pour and, you know, keep <laughs> pouring and they keep talking. And so now some of these guys are, after, after all this time, you know, are retiring now when I first, you know, so they can talk a lot more, you know, they're not as yeah. bound by whatever. And I'll say, okay, my story would, you know, be taking place at this time in 2000, what was going on? What were you doing? Do you remember? Is there any case that kind of haunts you right. or you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they share, you know, and they're really generous. And I have to say, 
they always tell me we share because we like the wine and we want you to get it right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they'll talk to me about this and and I get maybe a great idea or one up here or something they said really triggers it. So then I could, well, Amy could do that. So I need that. You know, I need that place in Paris. I need that time, what was going on. I need to know how she would be in the world, what her personal life was. And then I go from there and I take notes. Um, in the one I'm the book I'm editing right now, a lot of it is it's not the story I meant to write either. It was a story that came from one of the policemen who took me around he lives there um now but he said this is what it was like this is where this happened and this is where this murder happened I'm like oh you know I had no idea about a murder at this time in this area and so of course I took it and I you know I fictionalized things because I'm not writing true crime or anything but so that was really spurred by walking around the neighborhood, you know, this boots on the ground, walking the ground. I think is so, it, for me, is so important. Um, and anyone who writes about a foreign country and doesn't go there to research, I feel sorry for them because it's the best to me to go there and to see it and to to think about it and, you know, get the way the light is hitting that building or how you know, people are walking or their kids are coming out of school or going to the boulangerie. You know, there's that whole pulse of the of the place that I am that intrigues me. And I want to write about that. And I want to, you know, make it organic to this area. So I take inspiration or I plot ideas or true, true, you know, things that really happen, like from in the newspaper. I saw something or a policeman tells me about this case. So I use that, of course, because, you know, I have Amy and why is she being involved, you know, which is different when I changed, not changed, when I started writing, you know, historical World War II mystery, so thrillers. So that's a bit different. But the whole thing with Amy is always about why is she there? Mm -hmm. What story can I tell? What social issue do I want to explore? Right. And that's in the theme, you know, so all of you setting, it sounds to me, what I'm hearing you say is that setting inspires you um, and mm -hmm. then theme. And maybe you think you're going to be telling this story, but it ends up being this story. But it's still the setting and the theme or what what are driving are the creative mechanisms that are making it happen. Exactly. Yeah. And that really drives me, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in crime novels, you know, we all explore social issues. You know, it's kind of woven in, you know, and people tell me, oh, I don't read mysteries or, you know, I'm like, really? Because, you know, they're, we're all on the New York Times bestseller list and they're all there is meat on the bones, so to speak. Right. Yeah. There is something to be said that we're not preaching in a really good story. It's woven into the texture. Yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, and as you're, uh, you know, working on, uh, you know, you're pantsing and you're inspired and you're doing your research and that's, let's, let's underline that, that you're doing the research, um, and that you created a character who is half American so that you could have that 
point of view, which is your point of view, um, you know, and, and help inform the story that way. Um, are you, you know, it sounds like every time you're working on a new one, you you make sure you're learning and you're still talking and you're still researching and you're still exploring. You don't rest on your laurels on this. Well, you know, Paris is too exciting to, you know, phone it in. You know, I'd rather go and, you know, why would I phone it in? You know, I mean, but, you know, it's about going there. And uh, and that's the that's the joy of it. Right. When you discover something new that's fresh to you, that's like, I never thought of it that way or that could happen or this person would, of course, you know, and put, you know, and again, as as we do, you know, and especially in Sisters in Crime, we're always talking about how can we keep this fresh? How can we, you know, explore putting something in there, you know, introducing a new character to change it up to, Mm -hmm. I don't know, look at it a different way and, you know, having a secondary character. Um, you know, I love I love secondary characters because they can do a lot that we can't have our protagonists do, right? Yeah. Or have a different point of view. Yeah. Yeah. And they move with the series so that they can keep growing and doing things. And and how challenging is it for you to um to deal with the different way of of laws and 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 the, you know the, the different police systems and things like that? How how challenging is that to make sure you're getting that right? Oh yeah, well, the, the that's a good question because they, it changes, right? It yeah. changes the structure. So it's really now they use different terms. They move the main police station. So, but I don't have to worry about that, right? Because I'm <laughs> I'm not in the present day. <clears throat> so I tried to use the correct terms at that time. Um, and again, you know, they're it's so funny because they have what they would would be our district attorney is it district would would is really in charge of the case you know let's say a body is found and the police the the local you know cops in the area the fleet would come but they don't do anything because it's a death is it murder they call before they call in the brigade criminal which is the homeless i'm talking only about paris you know the system there mm-hmm. which is different from france and will they call in the brigade criminal which is the elite homicide squad, or will it's the district attorney who will, who will, what we would call, comes in and says they're investigating, they're directing the case. No, no, this was, you know, this was accidental or nothing here warrants, uh, you know, suspicious death, whatever. And so that's always, you know, I've got to put that in and make sure it's correct. And then I ask my friends, the cops, is this correct? Would this be right? And, you know, they say, no, we told you, we've told you so many times we do it like this, this, this. And I'm like, okay, but I don't want to get too technical for my American readers because, you know, so some of that I tried to get the procedure correct. But, you know, I'm not, again, writing true crime. Right, right. So I have to bring that in. And Amy has to have an attitude like, I don't like that, La Clota, you know, she doesn't like me. And, you know, there could be that kind of way to mm-hmm. illustrate their role and sometimes I I had a my friend the policeman who said you know we never put that color um what are those blankets over you know when people are in emergency you know like those foil blankets yeah. to keep in the heat you know you got the color wrong I'm like oh of course you know just you know I have to stay on top of that um yeah. but um 
actually one of my French friends said, Cara, you know, why, why do you care? You know, they, it doesn't really matter. Your American readers won't know the difference. And I said, but I will. Yeah. You know, yeah, I have to, and I, not that I don't make mistakes, Julie, of course, I'm sure I do, but you know what? With do I do my due diligence because for me I want to get it as correct as I can, you know, right. and not stop the reader with technical issues or you know, oh, did we have you know routers there or did we have dialogue, you know? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think readers really do respond to that level of um, care. You know, they 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 it develops trust with the the author. Um, so, and we need trust so that we can then fool them with clues. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> now, you also write um, uh, about Kate Reese. Tell us about that series. Sure. It's another long fermenting idea um, because I'm slow. But, um, you know, during the 20 years I've been writing Amy Leduc books and going to Paris and sleeping on my friend's couch and hanging out with cops. And I joined some of the historical societies of the district, you know, the area I'm writing about, because they have the they have the information. Right. They're yeah. great. So I joined some and and I've met them and I'm always getting these little beautiful little notebooks in Paris and I'm taking notes or, you know, jotting something down on the bus or what someone says or, and then a lot of those notes, they, some of them go in the Amy books or some Amy has this thought or the way she saw someone say this, but a lot of things are about world war two as well, because that's what you discovered because mm -hmm. Paris was occupied. There are traces of world war two. There's bullet holes in certain mm -hmm. buildings. There's, you know, when I first started, a lot of people, I mean, you know, this was 20 years ago, people were still around, right? We're losing them. But, you know, they're like, you know, there'll be an odd remark, you'll be in the market. Oh, once I went with my friend's mother to the, you know, the weekly market in Paris. And, um, and I saw these topina boards, which are like rutabagas or Jerusalem mm -hmm. artichokes. I don't know if they're that... And I said, oh, those are, those are cool. You know, we don't have, I've never seen one. And I've read that there's this chef who makes a, like an emulsion with these and, you know, it's all trendy. And she goes, never, never, never buy that. That's all I ate during the war. I will never eat that again. I hate the smell. I hate the look. I hate the texture. It's the war. And I went, whoa, okay. Yeah. So, you know, those kinds of things. So there was always that. and. A lot of times in my Amy books, there'll be a, bits of World War II that I discover about this area. And my editor, wonderful as she is, she goes, Cara, you know, that's great. It doesn't go right here in this Amy book. Put it aside for later, which is great, in, you know, great advice. So anyway, to why, you know, it's a long answer to your question, but I was many years ago reading about the occupation of Paris and that Hitler came to Paris for three hours only. He left, never came back. And I thought, why? He could have had a parade down the Champs-Élysées. They were occupying the city. It was, why would he do that? And in a picture, which you can, you know, you can see his, the move the reel they made on YouTube of their trip, goes around Paris and two men were with him, Arnaud Brecker, his sculptor, and uh, Albert Speer, you know, uh, the architect of armament and the armaments minister, and they were there 
both you can together with him you see the picture they both survived the war they wrote about <clears throat> their experiences memoirs arno brecker said it was june 23rd 1940 albert speer said it was june 28th 1940 and nothing was ever disputed and i said well they're standing right there with them what's wrong with this picture you know yeah. what's going on and that what if which we all know as mystery writers what if i thought something happened some you know what mm -hmm. if, i know that just doesn't feel right so i thought about it and then i said to my editor i just you know she said you need to write about that you know you have all these you know great details and so that was it i was like Again, I was burning to figure this out. Why was mm -hmm. this? You know, there's certain dates that anyway, so it's all and I'm not a historian, but I started to write about it and I thought, what if someone took a shot at him? And you know, there was damage control and he left. What if that uh, shooter was a woman? Because yeah. I was so tired of reading about men who are snipers. You know, why can't we have a woman be more proactive in World War II, which they were? Mm -hmm. Um, but where are those stories? So that long answer to your question. So I thought she would be American and she would be from Oregon. She would grow up on a ranch during the depression. She had grit. She could think on her feet, you know, when the cattle were getting out during the snowstorm, she could corral, you know, she had five brothers. She's just real American. So it was kind of nice to have that you know, freedom of her experiencing, yeah. you know, World War II in Paris in an American way. So, um, yeah, and she had this great skill. She was a sharpshooter because she learned to shoot when she was little with her dad to defend the ranch, you know. So that was that was really great for me. Well, and I love that because <clears throat> writing historicals requires accuracy and requires um, so much research, but you've been doing it over all this time. Um, and that, you know, the first story that inspired you to write was a World War II story. So obviously that error has been um, part of your writing soul um, this entire time. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, that's sort of where I came from, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, but you know, Julie, it shaped us. That was a global war. It was Absolutely. on every continent. I mean, you know, and whatever your family or yeah. relative, you know, everyone was affected. I mean, you know, and it ripples down right through the generations, whether you're a, a Holocaust survivor or your, you know, grandfather was Niwo Jima or whatever. We're, we're all it changed the world and it's, you know, yeah, that's where I sort of came from. Well, and it changed the world and we can't lose the lessons of it. I mean, there was, everybody was united about, uh, you know, trying to, to deal with what Hitler was doing and, and, you know, well, not everyone was united, but it was, um, uh, the common good and it is hard you know my grandfather served um and mm. my parents were young and they have memories mm -hmm. and my uncle was a bombardier and you know so you can talk to people um about their experiences but it wasn't as as we need to remember and i worry that sometimes right. that we're not remembering because it was so um it did change the world and we we can't do that again <laughs> right we can't do that right again. right yeah. right yeah no you're totally right and 
and yeah, and and I was, you know, I was at the UK in Bristol Crime Fest. I was on a couple before COVID, and I was on a panel with women, younger women, you know, in their thirties, who were writing about what what I guess, and I could be wrong, is sort of domestic suspense during wartime, you know, in World mm-hmm. War II, or you know, like whatever women were doing. And I was so intrigued. And I really wanted to talk to them later. We never got a chance to say where, you know, what's inspired you, you know, tell me about, because they, they were a definite different generation. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, it's maybe grandma, great grandma who lived with them or, you know, and then pass the story down to the grandma and the mom and, you know, right. around the kitchen table, you're talking with, you know, oh, the potatoes we grew these during the war, grandma or whatever, and or there were diaries or people kept journals and yeah. diaries, you know, people wrote tons of letters then. So, you know, the letters grandma wrote during the war, I, I always wondered, and they're in writing about them, which I just think is wonderful, you know this other generation maybe exploring it I really I mean I don't know if that's where it came from but I sort of think maybe some of it did you know passed well, down your mm-hmm. story though about the vegetable that the the woman said no that's all we ate during the war and that visceral reaction that we can all um hear and and understand um right. even though we didn't uh live that that those sorts of details are what make it so rich you know i mean we can tell people a lot but that's showing the effects of war and and the the legacy of it is that this woman you know this new trendy vegetable she's like no <laughs> absolutely not never again <laughs> yeah. right yeah she just said like come on let's go you know just keep yeah. moving yeah yeah. She didn't even want to look at it, but yeah. Right. And I'm like, wow, you know? Yeah. Well, my grandmother used to Brought talk about taking oleo and putting um, orange uh, powder in it to make it look like butter. Mm. And after the war, so, and it was, you know, it didn't taste, but it's like, because of rationing and everything else. So after the war, she ate, she used butter. <laughs> I mean, it was like, and she's very frugal, but she's like, she drank cream and she ate butter because it's like, couldn't do that during the war. And I'm, I, you know, but she would, she would give me those kinds of, of um, tidbits or missing my grandfather or something that were, um, Better than a history book because it really made it uh, uh, made me understand what it was like to go through and not have your phone working and you know do all these things. So and that's what you're providing. It's like this is what it was like um, to be yeah. there. Yeah, and exactly. And women were very important during the war. You know, just think men had gone off either they were fighting, prisoners of war, injured. We don't know. But women had to not only work in the factory, I mean, this is all over, you know, America and Europe. They had to work in the factories, they had to keep things going, they had to keep the shop open, take care of the kids, find the food, because as you mentioned, rationing, you know, and you have maybe an elder relative, you know, they're juggling everything. And then they did do work and maybe they would hide someone too, you know, but that was a huge risk to their family. The British... You know, the rent, you know, the young women who became wrens and wops and all those different terms in the military, there were hundreds of thousands of them. Mm-hmm. And their stories, you know, are very few because they took the official secrets act, right? And they yeah. took it they took it to the grave. They seriously took that 
to heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Kate Middleton's grand, Kate Middleton, who might be queen someday, <laughs> her grandmother was a coder at Bletchley Park. Wow. Wow. And they called them girls and they never got the right pay. And what I think, and I'm not exactly sure, but I think Kate Middleton tried to, was very proud of this and tried to find records of her. All the records of the girls who worked at Bletchley Park, you know, not they're not high level coders, but they're, right. you know, maybe in tactical or whatever, were destroyed. So there was no file because they were never going to, you know, they were going to have children and get married and have yeah. families after the war. So mm. it, those yeah. stories, are, we lost them, you know, yeah. or any records, except yeah. for the military intelligence. Those are, we find, we, you can find those. Yeah. So how many, yeah. How many stories of, I mean, that's the, that's where we are right now too. And I think this is why it's so important. Tell the stories of the women, tell the stories of the black soldiers, tell the stories of, of different people, because, you know, we have this one uniform truth. That's not the only truth. There are lots of other truths out there and we need to tell those stories. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was, you know, <laughs> these, we don't have to <laughs> we definitely need to these stories these story, these books are more thrillers mm-hmm. yeah oh, how's that for you how's that different genre different i mean did she did she just come to you and say yeah this isn't a mystery we're gonna you 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 need to write a thriller did you need to learn new things how did you sort of develop that skill set Oh, sure. It was very scary, you know, because I've been writing, you know, 1819, you made the books. And um, of course, I'm always striving to keep them fresh, but it's like writing a thriller. And, and I, I knew that if I had a sniper and she took a shot at Hitler, it had to be a thriller because right. she had to get out of there. I mean, you know, there would be Gestapo after her. So that's <laughs> a great, you know, impetus. It's like cat and mouse. And I'm like, yeah, but that is so hard because the timing. So then I'm like cat and mouse trying to escape the Gestapo. Okay. And then she would have fall into another mission that she had to accomplish uh, to save someone and took that over to redeem herself and all this. And so I thought, okay, what what is a good thriller? And my favorite of all time is the, um, uh, the Day of the Jackal. Mm-hmm. You know, if you dissect that book, The Day of the Jackal, or you watch the original movie, it is it is amazing because tuck, 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 tuck. He has a time. He's the assassin who's paid by the, you know, rebel um, generals of de Gaulle to shoot de Gaulle and kill him. Now, we all know de Gaulle survived, but it is still tense and nail-biting. There yeah. is, it's wonderful. Yeah. And I was always, when, I, when I'm in Paris and I'm on the bus and I'm going towards Montparnasse Station and I look up and I say, which window was it that Jackal was <laughs> shooting down at De Gaulle? It's like real to me. And people are like, get over that. And I'm like, no, this one, no, the angle. So I was always thinking of that because it really struck home to me. It could have, I mean, there were many attempts on De Gaulle's life and Hitler's life. So so I thought, what is it that I just love to reread this, even though I know everything? Yeah. So you build in this suspense, and then there is a deadline. Okay, there's 36 hours to find this woman, you know. 
you have, you know, the curfew is coming. You can't be on the street. That's a deadline. You've got to get somewhere. And, you know, the metro is infrequent and, you know, all these restrictions in occupied city. So I realized when I started writing it, and you know who always encouraged me to write a thriller was William Ken Kruger. He said, Gara, <laughs> we've all started out around the same time. We're all wrote series. Now some of us are writing different series. Some of us have write a few standalones. It's your time. He's like hitting his what? It's your time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Ken. Always, I was always very, even once at Bachaka, and I said to Lee Child, how do you feel about it? He goes, yeah, Kara. You just do it. You know, it's about time. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I was afraid and, yeah. you know, but I did again have this story and that gave me, you know, some courage. And my editor said, this is a new muscle for you to, you know, use and work and you can do this. We'll support you, which, you know, that made me, oh, yeah. okay. Huge. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. And I knew. Yeah. If I had this incredible deadline, like every minute counted, which it would, if, you know, come on, if the Gestapo's after you, you know, everything matters uh, in a city that you don't know well, where the language is difficult, where you look out of place, you know, totally. It was, that was, that was great to have her have obstacles constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that um, you, challenged yourself um and and went into it understanding that you'd need to figure it out i mean it's it's um i think that's a wonderful thing for people to hear that even though you're mm -hmm. tremendously successful you you took something that scared you a little bit and said okay i'm doing this now well thanks julie it took me a while to do that i could have done it much sooner but actually, you know, that just kind of seemed right, you know, yeah. and a lot of people were like, how did it feel? And, and, you know, did it bother you? And I'm like, well, I did feel unfaithful to Amy Ledoux kind of after all this time. I was having an affair with another. And I'm like, no, you know, Amy is one way and Kate is another way and they're different. You know, maybe they kind of, you know, evolved from different parts, but, you know, I can do different things with different characters and they would have different opinions or different backgrounds you know and Kate can always be the blundering American as I often am in Paris you know and of course try yeah. to try and hide it or you know yeah. go undercover or you know take that back or fix it um you know and I again as outsiders when we write we are we're observers right and I know that as an observer I'm always, when I'm in Paris, I can, I can't, I'm not French, you know, maybe I'll get my little trench coat out and my nice boots and someone might ask me for directions. The minute I open my mouth, oh, you know, they know I'm not from there, <laughs> but I could pretend, you know, for a little bit and that's all I need. You know, I, you know, I can feel like I'm part of it, but again, I'm, a, I'm an observer, an yeah. outsider. And that's, I think as writers, we, we have that, we can be viewing it in one way and again those secondary characters would have a totally different point of view that you can bring out another aspect of the story of the war of what it was like um so yeah yeah i'm really into secondary characters right now because you know thinking about how how they need some you know they have to have meat on their bones there they need to yeah. you know not just be the purveyor of information right 
Right. And and readers love secondary characters. I mean, they, you know, that's sometimes they can respond to them in a different way or or, you know, they they're their their eyes because they're they don't know what's going on. Sure. What what about the publishing industry? Do you do you wish you'd known then? Well, you know, I it's a mystery to me, the publishing world, because I'm probably unusual in that I have been with the same publisher for every book. Wow. I don't know anything different. I know everyone goes, what? I mean, I, I've always been with them. Um, I understood when I came on that they were like, we're going to, you know, we're small. We work for our authors as, you know, as you know, I mean, so many of them and, but we're small and this is what we do. And we're not a big giant house. And, um, you know, but, you can call your editor on the phone and she'll answer, you know, I mean, I don't know other people, but, and, um, and so it, it's, um, what did I want to say? They want to, they grow authors. And at least that's my experience, which it probably wouldn't have happened in a larger house, you know? Yeah. Um, And so growing authors is, so that's what I know. And I don't know, you you know, I've had, to now my third editor, well, actually two editors, and my first editor was one of the co-founders of Soho. So I have a very probably sheltered, if you want to say, um, you know, experience. I sold my first book to Soho without an agent, which, you know, which was different. And I got an agent, but I sort of came to the table with a full plate, you know, mm-hmm. what I say. I mean, they've just negotiated things. So I, that's what I know. I, I don't know what it would be like at another house. I just know that when I started, it was all about traditionally published. Mm-hmm. And now the world has expanded and, mm-hmm. and we all do, you know, different, you know, there's so many ways to get stories out there. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It's changed a lot, but it's still the same thing. Yeah. About getting your book out there, having a good editor to give you good feedback, to having an agent, you know, promoting you in whatever way they do, you know. Um, and I just, I'm in awe of people who get like a three book contract right away. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> never happened to me. I don't know. Is that common, you know? But, <laughs> well, I also, uh, I love what you you said about having a, a publisher who's investing in you as an author and and you know um that's really important and i think that as sometimes when we're first starting out it's so you just jump at an offer but really thinking about will this will are they investing in me as an author helping me grow investing in my series whatever um is are right. such important things to think about um yeah what's your favorite and that's piece? probably yeah, that's probably a good conversation to have, you know, if you're starting out. You yeah. know, if I was a debut author, I would probably, you know, try to, of course, you have not, you know, you're you're brand new. So, but I would try to get a sense of, yeah, how are you going to, you know, how are we going to, what are you investing in me, you know, or, right. or, you know, of course, that's a little too bold, but, you know, in ways to find out how can we, I would say offering to work together, I felt really helpful. I forgot to mention that. I would say, Okay, debut author, what can I do to supplement or to add on to what you're doing, not to step on your toes or, you know, trying to find that is always 
helpful. And when they see that you're ready to do your bit, which everyone is, but um, do you know what I mean? To yeah. supplement or, you know, yeah. more team, team-like approach what i'm trying to say yeah yeah that you're you're willing to do what you can do to help and you know and supplement and work with them and it's a very people business um and i think that as writers sometimes folks forget that because that's such a solitary act but the rest of it's all about relationships (laughs) um what's your favorite piece of writing advice to give to folks um um, well, there's three rules of writing at Somerset Mom, and no one knows what they are. <laughs> <laughs> but my advice would be keep your derriere in the chair. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Now, of course, if you have a standing desk, more power to you. But <laughs> if you don't, or you keep it in the chair and just just sit down and write and whether you use the pomodoro method right having like kitchen timer write for 45 minutes or whatever and stop and get up uh or writing you know five thousand words a day or writing you know whatever so many hours what word count page count how many pages or like me lately i've been just doing a scene you know i'm writing a scene today a scene can be one page, not usually, but three to five pages. But we start somewhere, something happens, there's a change in the status quo or whatever. We learn new information, we end somewhere else. That's what I'm working on. <clears throat> and that helps me focus. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, that's great advice. That's great advice. Kara, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for this great conversation. Um, and you've well, got thank a you. new book out. You're working on another one. Congratulations on it all. And um so grateful for your time. Thank you, Julie. And I love Sisters in Crime. I, you know, can't wait to do the Nano Remo again. Yeah, <laughs> you you um you co-hosted a few write-ins with me, and um it's a it's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful opportunity for us all to be together and get those words done. <laughs> right. And I love that we made our own kind of goals, you know, whether it was writing, yeah. you know, a, a page of dialogue or fleshing out a character or yeah, I love that, that it's not the, doesn't have to be the 50,000 words. Yeah. It's our goal. Yeah. And I really want to thank Sisters in Crime and you for <clears throat> for spearheading that. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I'm so glad that you're a member and, um, and congratulations again. Thank you, Julie. Lovely talking with you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.